0: Good morning. Henry, okay? Well, I was excited this morning when I came in here and I saw that uh, it was the new members lunch. I had forgotten about it, but that way, if I go really long, it doesn't matter. None of you will have to stand in line for lunch because there'll be plenty of food out there. So there's no reason for you to get frustrated um, with how long this might take. Uh, And if you're visiting or first time here, first time heard, heard me preach, I apologize. Don't judge Cross Creek Church based on... What happens here in the next 45 to minutes to an hour and a half or so? I promise uh, this is not a normal standard uh, occurrence. Once or twice a year is all that Chris will endure. We left David last week, fleeing, being pushed out of Jerusalem. His son had conspired against him. Had had rallied the people of Israel against the anointed king of the Lord. And so David has been driven out in, in what might be considered a desert or wilderness. And it might be the case, and I'm just gonna go ahead and read it as if it is the case, Psalm sixty three. May have been penned by David while he was fleeing, because it actually does make reference. One of him being a, a, a refuge or, or, or being cast out and, and hiding But also that he is actually the king And so whenever he's hiding from Saul He has yet to actually be You know brought in as king Now I want to read these words Before I start with our passage Just to give us a context of Of what his demeanor was Psalm 63 Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land there is no water. So I look up in the sanctuary and behold the power and the glory, because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live, in your name I will lift up my hands, my soul will be satisfied as far as with the fat and rich food, and in my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing joy, my soul clings to you, my right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall, be gone, shall go down into the depths of the earth. And they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be the portion of jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt him. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. If you turn to our passage in Second Samuel. I'm going to do something my wife hates. But she decided not to show up for the sermon. So... Katrina absolutely hates it when TV shows or movies start with something that happens at the end and, and the is told in flashback drives her nuts. I already know if you start watching a TV show, it starts with the end and then it flashes back. She's going to hate it. I, I already know that to begin with, but I'm going to start with the end of the passage. Second Samuel 18 beginning in verse 24. Now, David was sitting between the two gates And the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king. And the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. And the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gate and said, see, another man is running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. The watchman said, I think he's running first like the one like running with. Ahizmah, I always love these names, and the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man, and he comes with good news. Then Ahizmah cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the man who raised up his hand against my lord the king. And the king says, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And Ahizmah answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king says, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came. And Cushite said, Good news from my lord, the king. For the lord has delivered up to you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for the evil be like the young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to his chamber over the gate and wept. And he went and he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we live in a sinful, broken, fallen world. Help us this day. Let your Spirit give us eyes to see your truth. Let us look in this narrative and see how you in your holiness and faithfulness bring about your perfect purposes, even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of people conspiring against your anointed. Father, give us eyes to see your truth and ears to hear it. May I be diminished, Father, that you might be lifted up. Let I not say anything of my own thoughts, but, Father, let your thoughts be heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have this great lament. If you look in the back of your bulletin, I just, you know, by Friday I'm still kind of scattered usually. You know, so we're going to look at this in kind of three sections. David's lament, kind of our lament. And then we'll look at Jesus's lament and see how that parallels. I know for, for, for many of us, we see something like this story and, and, and we see the pain and we might not directly identify. Maybe many of us have not sat at a funeral or had someone die that we really saw as our enemy. And yet we see in David here a, a true enemy who had risen up against God's anointed king. And David is. In anguish and grief. And how do we understand that? And is it right for him to be so grieved with someone that would want to kill him? Uh, Last time I preached, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I'll just say it here, just something to remind us. When we read a story like this, we think of the pain that David must have felt. We think of the pain that David felt at Jonathan's death, and now at the death of his son. and, And his whole kingdom is on its way of going into shambles, it feels like. Feels maybe that nothing will go right. Uh, Michael Card says in one of his songs, or talking about one of his songs and then part of the words of it. God never wastes anything. He takes the most hurtful things in our life and uses them to make us more like him. But our wounds are part of who we are and there's nothing left to chance. And pains the pen that writes the song that calls us forth to dance. Whether David was right in his anguish that we'll look at. Or whether he was misguided, because we'll look a little bit at kind of how the people responded. We do know that these painful events shaped who David was. It shaped many of the Psalms that we would read, that we'd understand. When I look at this passage and I try to think back into my own life and and, and try to think of parallels, I, I think I kind of have two. One was back in my teenage years, prior to coming to Christ... I got into a little bit of trouble often. I had a good running mate. My best friend. We, I thought we were besties, I guess we'd use the modern term. We got in trouble one night. We were driving, you know, around Lorna road and kind of threw a liquor bottle out the window. Kids don't do that. Shouldn't do it. And we got pulled over and they found a few things in the vehicle, things of which ended up getting me handcuffed and put in the back of a police car. And carted off and watched my car go away into the impound. Kids, don't do things that would cause that to happen. Lessons learned. During that process, though, I kind of found out that my buddy, or I thought it was my buddy, had been stealing from our house for over a year. He had stolen some of our brother's jewelry. He had stolen some things from my mom. He had stolen money out of our house. And I had no idea. About two years later, I found out that he took some LSD and thought he could fly and jumped off a bridge. I had yet to come to Christ, and I didn't really have much value in human life. And I still had some deep-seated anger towards him. And to to one of my friends' surprise, I wasn't moved at all. He said, well, you heard about Travis. He jumped off a bridge. And I was like, oh, well, (laughs) I literally had no response. Because I didn't come to Christ for another number of years. A little bit before that, I I lived in kind of a, a mixed family, similar to maybe how David's children feel. Uh, his, mine, and ours. My mom and dad got married and had me. Now, you can imagine, mom, dad marries younger woman. Woman and father have new child. How might some of the other children who are 10, 13, 14 years older than new child might feel towards that new child that's come in and kind of upsert their, their, their kind of place and the role in the family. When I was about 14, my oldest brother, Ronnie, he, he was uh, living with us for a short time. He was working with my dad and he would go on these business trips during the week and At 14 years old, I was not quite the beard grower that I am today. I did not quite have those skills, but for Christmas, I had gotten a shaving kit. So I had my little shaving kit pouch in my drawer, and Ronnie with ever not asking me, never really caring how I felt about it. He would always go in and take that when he went on business trips, and I would go in and my toothbrush would just be somewhere in the middle of the drawer and toothpaste and One day, me as a 14-year-old, goes into the 31-year-old's room and I start uh, reprimanding him. Telling him how he does not need to be taking my things. 31-year-old does not like that the 14-year-old is reprimanding him. Proceeds to grab me by the throat and throw me up against the wall. Now, Ronnie was kind of like a hippie when hippie wasn't in style anymore. You know, kind of tall, lanky. He had cut his hair at this point, but you get the body type. My other brother, Scott, who was also of the same mom as me, was a football player and was a carpenter by day, hammering all day long every day. When he found out that older brother Ronnie threw younger brother Brandon up against the wall by the throat, Scott comes in is about to go at it. Dad comes in, not knowing what's going on, thinks that Scott's in trouble with him, grabs Scott, and all of a sudden, my brothers, my fathers, my mom's screaming, and you have a full... Um, WWE brawl in the middle of my bedroom. Thus is my childhood. Me and Ronnie never really spoke much after that incident. Never had much of a relationship. At 22, I come to Christ. At about 32, Ronnie passes away in a massive heart attack out in California strange from the family hardly talked to anybody in the family for six years I didn't think that he cared or knew anything about us we fly out to California we he, he was going to make it as an actor you know so it was kind of funny he was you know brilliant guy part member of Mensa he would spend his time he'd spend a year trying to be an actor and then when he was so dirt poor and he couldn't eat he'd spend a year being a uh, working in kind of an executive with construction companies, and then he'd go back and forth. He, uh, we opened the door to his apartment, small little place in the middle of California. And up on the wall is one of the pictures that I had given him one year for Christmas when I was in photography school. Just sitting up on his wall. I, was, I don't think I cried until that moment I opened the door. And I cried and wailed, probably not wailed in front of the, the family. Because of much regret. Because at this point, I've been a Christian for about eight to ten years, and I never called him. I never talked to him. I never shared the gospel with him. And I know for a fact that he, he smoked marijuana every day of his life. Now, that just because you smoke marijuana doesn't necessarily entail that you never accepted Christ. But he never had anything positive to say for the church. And we were going to cremate him, but then we found out all his coworkers and everybody wanted him to, you know, have some kind of service. And so it falls upon young Brandon to give the funeral service and, you know, eight hours notice for his brother who he thought hated him. So I guess whenever, you know, in the providence of God, as I come to a passage like this, I, I understand David's grief. I understand a little bit of his anguish of regret because Absalom was a covenant child and had left his faithful covenant people. As we look back here, let, let's just quickly run through a little bit on, on, on chapter 17. Um, as David has fled Jerusalem in 17. We see that there's a little bit of a war council. Absalom's getting his generals together, trying to figure out what he's going to do. Trying to plot his next move to go and finally trample David. In the province of God, Absalom actually trusts one of David's friends. And the Hesaiah, uh, a friend of David, gives him bad counsel. But we read in 1714 that and Absalom and all the men of Israel did. The council of the Hishite, the Arctite. It's better than the counsel of Ithafel. For the Lord had ordained the defeat of good counsel of Ithafel, that the Lord might bring forth harm to Absalom. And somehow the, the, the Lord was providentially working, even in the camp of Absalom, that he would achieve his purpose so that Absalom would not immediately go after David. Because David has just fled. He hasn't had time to organize his armies and prepare to defend anything. And so, because... Uh, David's friend is there counseling uh, Absalom. He he convinces him to wait, to wait and go the next day to to get all the people of Israel ready to go and to fight. But then he sends a a warning to David. So that David crosses the river and is able to prepare his forces. We show that in this that, that God is faithful in his covenant promises, because in 2 Samuel 7, right, God has promised that he will establish the covenant kingdom of david for a little while no forever as an eternal covenant that is in david's family that ultimately the kingdom would last now as we turn to 18 after these events have transpired david begins to set his people out look in 18 verses 1 through 7 and David mustered all the men who were with him, and set them over the commanders and the thousands and the commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one third with the command of Joab, one third with the command of Beshaiah, and the one hand of Zeroth, Joab's brother, and one third under the command of Vitiah, the Gittite. And the king said to them, I myself will go with you. But the men said, You shall not go out. For if we flee, we do not care about us. If we die, they will not care about us. But if you are worth 10,000 of us, therefore, it is better that you send us help to the city. The king said to them, whatever seems best to you, hundreds and by thousands. And the king's ordered Joab and Abishiah and the Attite deal gently for the sake of my son Absalom. And all the people heard when the king had given his orders and all the commanders about Absalom. So David is still... Caring about his son He sends out his army Now can you imagine this Can you imagine a modern day warfare Okay guys We're going to go You know Knock out uh, ISIS But I got to, You know my, my, my son's over there leading ISIS So So kill everybody else But don't get the leader We need to make sure he comes back alive be, Please be nice to him What are the men going to do How are they going to proceed how, how can they Deal with it John Piper did a series of poems kind of going through this entire narrative uh, one year for Advent. And the section on this, it, it, I really wanted to read the whole pro- poem, but I, I timed it out. It was about 15 minutes, and I, I think going to 1230 would have been a little bit much for the sermon. But speaking of this section of the passage, he says, O Israel, all now asleep, waiting slaughter at daybreak. The boy king cannot make a match for Joab's might. For the slumber, David said, he is more to me than you can know, Joab. For you, it is like picking a scab, would be his death for me. My life is bound up in this boy. A knife to my own throat would be this news. That he is dead, Joab, don't bruise my son. Deal gently with him for my sake. David was pleading with him. But was he really thinking about his men? Was he thinking about his kingdom? Was he thinking about... What God was covenantally going to do with the people of Israel Because this person Absalom Yes his son But he has stood up against God Shaking his fist at God's anointed To take them down We read soon here in 18 That that basically this battle happens very quickly And over 20,000 people lay dead Piper goes on to say, before the sun was more than halfway up in the morning sky, Absalom could question why. Full 20,000 men were dead, the army routed, and the rebel fled on his mule alone. And to the end, a fool. So quickly, David's men come in. They, they, they trample Absalom's army of, of, of Israel and defeat. Almost 20,000 die, and everybody starts fleeing for the hills. Like, oh, oh, crap. We remember those stories of David. We remember he just needed a few little rocks to knock out the Philistines. We know that David kills his ten thousands. David just has to win a little bit of of a battle with the people of Israel. They they know the stories. You know, so you imagine everybody's fleeing. Well, Absalom, if you remember back a few chapters, was known for having this long, beautiful hair. And it's kind of a funny story, but he starts running away on his mule. And as Piper summarizes it. Um, he flew in haste uh, And alone. And then he was a, fuel, a, a fool And he flew in haste Among the oaks of Ephraim And there the jokes of the hard and callous man were made His hair became a deadly braid And caught him in the branches Of a terebinth. He hung above the ground Unable to undo his famous hair Thus he flew Where there is no one else to blame His boast became, boast became his final shame That I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of humorous in the midst of 20,000 people just dead. Then you get this image of Absalom riding on his mule and he has like tons of, of crazy hair, you know, and they didn't have conditioners back then. So it's probably a little, you know, it wasn't like, you know, just kind of brush through. Right. You got to think back. You know, they don't have anything to make it like easy for a comb. Somehow he's riding on his mule and his hair gets caught in the tree and he's hanging there stuck. Now, that's kind of an unusual picture. There is a little bit of a humor to it. And then one of his men sees it, and he remembers what David says. He, he, he's not going to mess with David. And one of his men comes up, and he sees Absalom hanging from the tree. And so he goes and tells Joab. And Joab's like, well, did you kill him? And the guy's like, no, I'm not going to bring up my hand against the Lord's, uh, the anointed king's son. And, and so Joab's like, yeah, give me these three spears. And he goes and thrusts each one immediately into the heart of Absalom. Doesn't care a whip. Was Joab right? Was Joab wrong? The pains of war? The difficulty of these realities? I mean, it was a story of betrayal. Now, none of this is going to happen to us today, right? I mean, I'm not going to raise up a giant revolt against Chris, especially after this sermon. It's like, you know, who's with me? You know, the door's going to fly open and everybody's going to run out. It's not like I'm going to raise up some revolt. And if I did, it's not like I'm going to run away on a mule and get my head caught in anything, Maybe when I grow my beard down a little bit, I might get caught in something. But, you know, I've never been able to have a lot of wavy hair, but definitely not now. So what, how are we supposed to look at this passage and this, this crazy story and we see how David's response? How are we to understand kind of our role in this? Or how is it? As I often like to say, I took from one theologian who I disagree with in 85 other ways, but in this way I think he's right. It's not about making the passage relevant to our lives, which would make it very subjective. But how are our lives relevant to the realities of this text? This realities of a, of a covenant child, in open rebellion against his father and ultimately causes his death. Terrible consequences. How are we to deal with these things? Well, one, a a simple note is I do believe it's a cautionary tale, especially for many of us are our parents of covenantal children. Right. We believe that our our children as babies are baptized into the visible community of God. And we are not supposed to seek to bring them into the people of God. We're supposed to admonish them to be faithful to the covenant. They're either going to prove to be covenant keepers or covenant breakers, much as Absalom should have been charged. And we look throughout Absalom's life. He kills someone for, for raping his sister. Without even talking to David. Without even getting it approved. He just becomes judge and jury. Do we see anywhere where David calls him to repentance? No. Over and over again. Absalom does some things. And yet we never see David as father. Come to him. And say Absalom please. Return to the covenant. Turn back. To be faithful We don't see David do that You know we have this cautionary warning In Hebrews chapter 6 For covenant children And it is a sobering Sobering caution For it is impossible In the case of those who have once been enlightened Who have tasted the heavenly gift And have shared in the Holy Spirit And have tasted the goodness of the word of God And the powers of the age to come And then have fallen away To restore them again I think the writer of Hebrews here is talking directly to us as as covenant parents saying you may love your children, but your job isn't just to love them. My job isn't just to love Parker and Reese. My job is to grow them up in holiness and call them to the covenant fidelity that they would be looking to Jesus. And yet I know we all struggle with that to balance our our children liking us. And, and yet constantly calling them to repentance. Um, I, I did one stint at a classical school. I taught one period a day. And, and I barely got the content in because at the time I didn't think my mindset was this. But, but I really believe that I I wanted people to be my friends. I wanted the kids to like me. And they loved me. They would call me all the time. I mean, some of them still call me. But I'm a horrible disciplinarian. I could not control a classroom any more than... I mean, you guys are being quiet, but you, you just, you know, Chris has trained you well. You know, I just was horrible at it. It wasn't my giftedness to to, to, to balance, you know, controlling them and, and yet instructing them, which is a different skill. So in many ways, this provides a, a cautionary tale. You know, the one thing that kept popping up in my mind as I was looking through this passage, I was thinking about, uh, I posted it on Facebook last night, but this old Johnny Cash video In a lot of ways, uh, Johnny Cash and David to me are, are a lot alike <laughs> because they're both an enigma in many ways. I mean, here's David known as a uh, as a servant, whose heart after God more than anything else. Right. He's known as someone that, that and you read like we read in that Psalm 63, that this passion to lift his hands and praise to God's holy name. And yet he's constantly struggling over and over again With being faithful To the covenant Cash is the same way Never denounced the faith Right Started off as a gospel teacher Never denounced his religious convictions And, and, and yet constantly was in rehab Struggled with drug abuse um, But yet made great fame as, as I don't even know how you classify Johnny Cash He's Country Rock Folk He's all of those things um, in 2003, shortly before his death, he, he redid a nine-inch nail song called "Hurt," And I'll read some of the lyrics for you today speaking to how Johnny Cash was dealing with maybe some of his regrets in his life. And I think this is about some of our, our realities as we look at our lament. "What have I become, my sweetest friend?" Everyone I know goes his own way, goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. I will wear this crown of thorns upon the liar's chair full of broken bones and thoughts. I cannot repair beneath the stains of times and the feelings of despair. You are someone else. I am still right here. What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make it hurt. If I could start again a million miles away, I would keep myself. I would find a way. You know, uh, I watched his last night, I watched the interview, his last interview before he he, he died. And the the guy said, you know, thinking of hurt, it seems like there's a lot of regret in your life and and that. And and Johnny Cash said the simple thing. Well, God forgave me, so I figure I must. You know, that's how Cash finally began to look at it. But I think when David is willing, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom, he must have been looking upon himself in his own sin, his own failures, that he... His action caused the realities that ultimately led to Absalom's covenant infidelity. And it is a sad reality for us to think about how do we deal... With our regret within our Christian faith. Um, To figure out how how we deal with that, let us look at Jesus' lament. If you will, turn to Matthew um, 27. And as we do, I wanted to thank a little bit, or talk just briefly, I know I'm, I'm getting close to time, I know Chris, 11 to 5, land the plane. In Matthew 27, I it worked. we hear this from Jesus. From now to the sixth hour to the darkness was over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Allah, Allah, the heen That is my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it and said, this man is calling to Elijah. And one of them ran out, ran, took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed to give it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rock split and the tomb opened up. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. In this moment, Jesus does what David couldn't do. David says in his plea, "Absalom, Absalom! if only I could take your place. In regret, he's looking at his own sin. He's saying, oh, if only I could go back. Just as County Johnny Cash said, only if I could go back a million miles away, I would do it so differently. Christian, as I started this, as John Piper said, our pain is part of who we are. God doesn't let that to chance. We should not look back at our sins and just say, oh, I wish I never, because you would not be who you are today. What we do is we look back to our sins and we have to repent of them and realize that they are upon Jesus. And trust that he is now in our place and we have that forgiveness. Hello. (laughs) That wasn't me. It wasn't my phone. Do we believe that today? A king to die in sinner stead cannot must not be true, but in Jesus it is. David's lament the fruit of infidelity, but a faithful king, every tear will be dried. For David could not take the place of his son, but Jesus takes ours. In this life, be still and trust your Savior. Jesus died in your place. Your hope is eternal. Your tears are temporary. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean that there is no pain. Doesn't mean that we don't struggle with those things. Does not mean that, that there aren't moments in my life where it pops into my head? Brandon, why didn't you pick up the phone and call Ronnie and say, let me tell you what God has done in my life. Why don't I take that opportunity? And, and yet I have to say that that pain has changed who I am. It changes how I relate to other people around me today. It changes who I might share the gospel with today because I know tomorrow is not promised. As C.S. Lewis says... In the line, which of the wardrobe, he says that if the witch knew the deep, dark magic, there is a deeper magic still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could look back a little bit further into the stillness and the darkness before time had dawn, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death would start to work back on itself. And as Romans eight thirty two says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, with Him, graciously give us all things? Christian, here is your hope, that you might look back and say, Oh, I wish! Don't repent of those wrong things. You have to deal with the people who have sinned against you, but realize that in repentance you're saying, I'm trusting Jesus for forgiveness, but also a willingness. To deal with the, the consequences of that sin. That's what true repentance entails. If you're not willing to deal with the consequences of your sin, you're not truly being repentant. So turn to Jesus. Trust in Him, the King who died in our place. And because He died in our place, all the pain that we might suffer in this life, all the times that we might want to wail, we know that one day, and in that place, Every tear will be dry. Every pain will go away. Death will be no more. And those things that hurt you most will be nothing but joy. Do you believe that this day? Are you trusting in Jesus in the midst of hope, even when the world seems as chaotic as it did in the time of David? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I I praise you this morning. I praise you for your word, and I thank you... Uh, for how you speak to us, even in a, in a sinner like David, even in a sinner like Joab, even in a sinner um, like Absalom. That as we look in your holy and errant word, we know, Father, that you are providentially in control. And you are providing for us, Father, lessons that, that draw us to your Son. That we should heed the warning, Father. That we should long for our children to be faithful to the covenant. That we should long that we could look to Jesus and trust in him in the midst of trials and suffering, and know that even though we might suffer pain in this life, even though we know we might suffer consequences of the sin of others and the sin of ourselves, Father, we look to you in the day of that great wedding feast of the Lamb, the day when we will be with you and see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.